0: Uh, Good morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians, if you will. We're going to be concluding the book of First Corinthians this morning, next week, we're going to start a series uh, as we begin to express God's love to those neighbors that are around us. We're going to be talking about that for the next three weeks or so, and then we're going to put that into action, uh, because our mission here is that we win people to Jesus, we make disciples, and we send. So next week, uh, beginning next week, we're going to be sent into our communities where we are, because God has so specifically placed us. We thought we made a choice in the home that we live in, but actually God chose for us a place because He wanted to put us there so that we might display His grace to those around us. And so we'll start looking at that next week. Uh, I was thinking this week in preparation for this message, and the fact is none of us like to lose, do we? No. We, we, we like to win. Recently, you remember the saying that was going around, second place is just first last. Uh, We're all competitive in that sense, and, and we like to win. I can remember when I was a little boy, my sister Maureen here used to play go fishing with me, and there was a specific instance when I was six or seven years of age. I can remember the number that I had asked for, and I said, give me all your sevens, and Maureen said, go fishing, and so I went fishing, and the next card that Maureen asked me for were sevens and I was smart enough at that age to realize that she was cheating at go fishing and I was so competitive that I hauled off I popped her in the nose and I bloodied her nose but she was gracious and didn't tell mama or I would have gotten worse than that for mama my wife Sandy she's not in this service she's in the next one so I can tell that in this service my wife is so competitive that she will cheat at bible trivia This morning, we want to look at the ultimate victory in our lives. Paul, in chapter 15, he begins speaking to uh, those Corinthians, and evidently there had been some confusion that they had had, and he emphatically said that Jesus, in fact, raised from the dead. He goes on to say that if he has not raised from the dead, then the preaching of the gospel is vain. In other words, there there is no gospel if Jesus had not raised from the dead. He says that if we don't believe that he's raised from the dead and we're living life just for this life, then we're to be pitied more than any other. And on about the sixth or seventh case that he gives in chapter 15 for the resurrection, of Jesus Christ, he says that because of Christ's resurrection from the dead, as evidence of that, we too shall be raised from the dead. And so this morning we're going to address these verses beginning in verse 50, if you will follow along with me as I read 50 through 58, uh, Paul is writing and he says this, I tell you this brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your sting? And the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore... My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Father, we thank you that this is your word. And God, we pray that the Holy Spirit this morning, as we are looking intently at the word of God, that the Holy Spirit would speak to every heart in the room this morning. God, you know where we are. You know our lives far more intricately than we could ever know them. And so, Lord, we depend on the Holy Spirit to give us understanding and illumination in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul begins to make this closing statement where he emphatically says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And as we read through these verses, we see that there are some contrasting words that Paul uses, for instance, he uses words like perishable and imperishable. That which is perishable cannot inherit imperishable. That which is mortal cannot inherit immortality. We get the idea that that Paul is making these contrasts to contrast this world that we are in now versus that world that we long for. The way things are now opposed to the way that things are going to be or that they must be. We get the idea and, and, and it comes to our mind, this perishable world in contrast with that world that is imperishable. And the first question that we come to when we look at this passage, we ask the question, why is it that we need this victory in verse 50? Why is it that we must have this victory that Paul is talking about in this chapter? Well, the first answer to that question is is because in life we feel like we are losing, and we are. Both physically and spiritually in the life of the believer, there are those times that we feel as though we are losing. Let me elaborate on that. Physically, it's become very apparent to me at the age of almost 57 now that physically I am losing. I wake up in the morning hurting just simply because I slept the night before or I didn't sleep the night before. I try to look at something and when I've left my glasses in the other room, my arms aren't quite long enough any longer to read the print. I realize that after I put in a hard day's work in the yard, I feel like sleeping in on Sunday morning. It used to be that I wouldn't leave the house until 8 o'clock, and now I want to make sure that I'm back home in the summer by 9 o'clock because after it's dark, I have a difficult time driving. Do I need to go on? And then not only physically do I see it, but emotionally sometimes I realize that that inevitable day of death is just around the corner. And not only do I find that my body is beginning to slip, some of us have slipped more than others, some of you are going to slip more than others, isn't this an edifying message this morning? (laughs) But emotionally, and as I'm at this point of age in life, I recognize and realize that I'm somewhere between second and third base. And about the time I round third base and I get towards home, I realize that I'm not maybe going to be as significant as i once was in my earlier years does that does that resonate with anybody not that i'm not as valued but there's just not the energy and there's not all of that stuff that's there and i recognize that the time is coming and it's getting closer when i'm going to check out i often make the statement i hope to be doing what i'm doing until i'm about age 75 because at age 75 the church puts pastor pastors out to pastor at that age. Are you understanding what I'm talking about? You see, physically, we recognize and realize that that inevitable day is coming where we will all physically die. But Paul writes this encouraging word in 2 Corinthians, the next book over, in chapter 4, verse 16. He says, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And for those of us who are believers and have a hope of the resurrection, we recognize and realize that spiritual growth does not have limitations in life until we go home to meet Jesus. And though outwardly we are wasting away Isn't it precious that when you come to the Lord on a daily basis, spiritually, He is renewing you day by day? Aren't you glad that your value is not placed on life in this earth, but we realize and recognize that that which is of greater value and worth is having our inner man renewed day by day by day, and that gospel message never gets old to our soul. Amen? But spiritually also, we recognize that that we are losing. Now, don't misunderstand me. He has gained the victory for us spiritually, but as long as you and I are still in this physical tent, there are some days we feel like we are losing spiritually. Anybody else with me? The older I get, I don't fear death anymore. I, I Like Billy Graham said, I fear the way that I might die. But I recognize that as, as a believer... There are so many times in my life, just as Paul cried out, where he said, man, those things that I know I ought to do, I found myself not doing. Those things that I know that I ought not do, I find myself doing those things, and we are weakened by the flesh that we live in, and we have such a desire to walk in fellowship with the Lord, but so very often we are defeated in that. Does anybody else get miserable in that state? Can I see your hands? I just want to make sure that we're all, we're all not... I just want to make sure nobody in the room has arrived yet. And our heart longs for that day when we will see Him face to face and we will be changed, as Paul says here, and no longer will our flesh defeat us. Paul said this in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. He said, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. If you're here this morning and you've not recognized that nothing good dwells in your flesh, there's a possibility you may not have trusted what Christ has done, which you can't do for yourself. There is nothing good that dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. He goes on in that chapter 7 of Romans to say this. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging wars against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Do you ever feel that way spiritually? Go ahead and shake your head because we all do. And Paul, like all of us, cries out at the last part of that phrase, Oh, thanks be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ, because He has rescued us from this body of flesh, yet we do not see it yet. And that's the hope that he begins to point to in this chapter. And when I think about these physical ailments, I think there's so many times that we go to great lengths to win an unwinnable war, an unwinnable battle, facial lifts, all these kinds of things that human beings try to do to thwart off the inevitable, but also recognize and realize that not only physically do we go to great extents to try to put off or postpone that inevitable day, but spiritually we go to great lengths to cover up our failings in the flesh. We put on a spiritual air. And oftentimes we don't share with one another the struggles that we have. And can I free you up this morning? The troubles that you have with the flesh, everybody else in this room has the same troubles. Isn't that good? Misery loves company, right? Aren't you glad that the Father doesn't reject you because of your... Spiritual failings. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8 verse 3. He says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. The first answer to this question is, Why do we need victory? It's because we feel like we're losing, and we are, until that day comes. The second reason is because we will ultimately die. The writer in Hebrews said that, and just as it is appointed to man to die, and after that comes judgment. Now here's where it kind of gets into a sobering moment in the message. Because it's been appointed for every one of us a day to die. And the Bible says that after that comes judgment. Judgment. There are two types of judgment that are spoken of in Scripture as it relates to every human being after that day that they die. There is, first of all, the judgment of those who have not trusted Christ as their Savior. Every one of us will stand before the Lord, and God will judge the unsaved. This is what the Bible calls the great white throne. If you'll turn with me, if you've got your Bible, I hope you do, to Matthew chapter 25. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 speaks of this final judgment for those who have never trusted what Christ has done for them. And Jesus says, beginning in verse 31, He says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Verse 32. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheets from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom that's been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous answered him, saying, "Lord, when did we say, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did you see, we see you sick?" Or in prison and visit you. And the king answered, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. And he goes on to verse 41. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger, naked, sick, or in prison, and we didn't minister to you? Then he answered to them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do the least of one of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Sobering words. As I was preparing this week for the message, my heart really just really got extremely burdened. And I recognized and realized that in my own life, I don't see the urgency and the need to share the gospel with those that are lost. Because if I believe what this book says, then I believe and know that there is an eternal destiny and we will all live forever. But the question is, will we live in His presence, being washed by the blood of the Lamb, or will we live in eternal separation, in damnation, separated? It's a sobering thought. You see, there is the judgment that's coming. It's appointed every man to die, and after that, the judgment. Now, the good news for those of us who have trusted Christ is that we will stand before Him, and we will be judged, but it's a different judgment for us. It is what the Bible refers to as the judgment seat of Christ. It's that that reward seat... That as we stand before Him, there will be rewards that are given to us of things that we have done, works that He's foreordained for us to do that are of the right motive and they will be tested as by fire and those will be purified. But those that we did in the flesh will be burned up and consumed and, and I'm afraid that I might have more burned up than rewards that I receive, right? And He'll give us crowns for those things, but the great thing about the reward that he gives us is that we'll be so, so in awe. Folks, we'll really be worshiping there. (laughs) Amen? Can I I tell you, it's going to be bluegrass. (laughs) Just kidding. will lay those crowns at His feet, because that won't mean anything in light of His glory and His splendor. And so there is a judgment day coming, and the question for us this morning, everyone here, am I ready to face that judgment? If you're sitting here this morning thinking that you're going to face it because you've done this good, you've done that good, and you've, you, you've You were born into a Christian family, grandmama was a Baptist, granddaddy was a Baptist, mama was a Baptist, daddy was a Baptist. Listen, that will not get you into heaven. The question is, have you been washed by the blood of the Lamb? Have you received God's gift of grace and salvation by placing your faith and your trust in Him? The second question that came to my mind as I was preparing this passage, not only was why do we need victory, but how do we get the victory? Notice what he says again in verse 51 through verse 57. He speaks of, of, of this victory that we will attain when he raises us from the dead. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says in verse 51, He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. It was something that hadn't been revealed yet, but he says, We shall not all sleep. Notice the way that he speaks of death. For the believer, it's really just like going to sleep. But he says, We will not all sleep. And what he's talking about here clearly is the rapture of the church when Jesus will come in the air. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound of the dead and Christ will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Why do we need this victory? Why do we need this resurrected body? And the answer to that question is because this body, the members of this body are corrupt and they are affected by sin. And it's true that when we are born again, our spirit is changed. We become a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. But He does not regenerate our flesh. And that which is corrupted must put on incorruptible. He he must change us. That word change that's used means to change the form or the nature, and that new body at our resurrection will be completely different than what we now have. Jesus said this in John chapter 6, verse 40. He says, For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Folks, we are going to be raised, and He has gained that for us by His resurrection from the dead. And that which is corruptible will put on incorruptible. He says this in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now notice he uses an imperative word in this where he says that the perishable body must put on the imperishable. In other words, there's no in-between. It must happen. It must take place because that which is corrupted cannot inherit. It has to be changed. If you remember in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve had sinned against God, God banished them from the garden, and He set an angel there to guard the entrance so they could not go back in. And there were two trees that they ate that were in the garden. One was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did they do? They ate of that tree. But there was another tree there in the garden called the tree of life. And they were free to eat from that tree, right? Right? You realize that if God had not placed the angel there to keep Adam and Eve from going into the garden, they would have continued to eat of the tree of life and there would have never been any hope of incorruptible. You see, sin so affected the whole creation of God. He goes on to say in this particular part of the passage, it will put on immortality. And then he says, death is swallowed up in victory. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned against God in the garden, death entered in, not only spiritual death, and Jesus has taken, place, taken, taken care of that by providing a way that if we trust in Him, we have new life spiritually. But ultimately, the victory from this corruptible body will be what He has ensured for us by His resurrection that we too will be raised from the dead. And He says, oh, death, where is your victory? You see, for the believer, there is not victory in death. Or death has no victory. The enemy has no victory in our death because we have the hope and the assurance that not only did Christ raise from the dead, but we too will be raised as well. Death, where's your victory? Death, where is your sting? You see, Paul said in Romans chapter 6 that the wages of sin is death. Don't you love the second part of the verse? But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Folks, there is hope for us. Not a wishful kind of hope. When the Bible speaks of hope, it speaks of an assured hope. That because Christ has raised from the dead, we too will be raised from the dead. And so often we're limited in our view that we only see what's happening in this world, in our dimension, and we don't have an eternal view and recognize and realize that the real victory for the believer is at that point of death because death means that we're going to be, receive an incorruptible body and we'll be freed from the limitations of this flesh, not only physically, but spiritually. Lastly, what does victory look like? Look at verse 58. He says to them, therefore. Therefore always leads to what was said, therefore. What preceded it? He said, therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, in light of the fact that you're going to be raised from the dead, therefore, in light of the fact that you're a believer, therefore, in light of the fact that He has called you to be on mission with Him, that He's called you to be a disciple of His, to walk with Him and enjoy fellowship with Him, therefore, my beloved, be steadfast. The word steadfast is a military term. Actually, it's a military nautical term, meaning to 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 take the mooring line and hold it steady. And the exhortation for us in our life is in this life, realize and recognize that this life is not all that there is. And all that you're employed doing on His behalf as a disciple of His, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let me close. What is the work of the Lord? Well, if I boil all the Scripture down, it's simply this. It's the mission that He's given to us. Be steadfast in bringing others to faith in Christ. Be steadfast in discipling those that, that God has entrusted to you to show them how to follow Jesus and obey His commands and engage in life with them. Be steadfast. Be immovable. And continue to go at every opportunity that God gives you to go and share the gospel with those who do not yet know Him. Folks, not only is that the mission for our church, that's the mission for every believer in here. Go and make disciples, he says. I see that as a command of Jesus. I don't see it as an option. Go and make disciples. I heard somebody say this last week. If you're not going and making disciples, then what's your excuse for being disobedient to what Jesus has called you to do? Folks, that's why we're here. Amen? Father, we pray that